when you get the bulletin, when you get our weekly, what is the first section that you look at? For some of you, it might be our outreach focus. For others, mission and serving opportunities. Some of you, the first section you go to is the financial section to see how, how we're doing. For me, the first section I go to is the hospitalized section. I always go and look at who in our congregation is in the hospital. And the second section I go to is right below that. It's the bereaved section. And I look to see who here at Calvary has passed away and who is experiencing pain and suffering and difficulty. And now I'm not sure why these are the first things I look at, why these are the first sections I look at. It may be because I'm getting older. Uh, but one thing I'm sure of is that both of these sections are in this weekly, are in this bulletin every week. Every week, there's somebody here at Calvary Church, somebody from our body who is in the hospital. And oftentimes, there's somebody from Calvary Church who has passed away. And I look and I think to myself, man, there's a lot of pain and suffering that's being experienced right here at Calvary Church. And this is only a partial representation, isn't it? Because there's many, there's many of you here this morning that are experiencing some form of, of sickness, maybe disease, and maybe there's even somebody here this morning who's facing death. There's many people here this morning who are suffering, who are in pain, and, and it's not only health. It's not only health and sickness related. There's other types of suffering and pain that are being experienced. There's other types of suffering and pain that you are going through. It may be a financial difficulty. You may be without a job or you're finding it difficult to pay the bills or the investment deal isn't going the way you planned. Or maybe you're in some type of distress. Maybe that distress is emotional and there's somebody in your family that's facing mental illness and there seems to be no answers. There seems to be nothing that can be done. And it hurts. It's disappointing. It's suffering. It's pain. It may be that this last school year has been a terrible year. It may be that you failed to make the team that all your life you wanted to make. And the suffering is very real. It's very painful. It's very discouraging. And there are some of you here this morning that are experiencing suffering and pain. And if I had to bet, I'd bet that it's more than just some of you. I've learned to recognize that all the smiling faces on church and Sunday morning don't always represent smiles on the inside. That there's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and most of us at some time or another in our lives are going through pain and suffering. In fact, if you're not going through pain and suffering now, sometime in your life, you are going to go through pain and suffering. Now there's degrees of pain and suffering, but one man suffering in pain is still one man suffering in pain. And eventually, eventually, 
in our lives, we all face that one word question. Why? Why me? Why, Lord? Why this? Why now? Why? Well, this morning, as we continue our look at the new and improved aspects of a beautiful life, and as we continue our focus on Romans 8, I'd like us to look at maybe two of the most important verses in all of the New Testament as it deals with suffering and the believer. These verses are incredibly important and incredibly encouraging, and they speak to us about the suffering that we face as a believer. They're found in Romans 8, 17, and 18. Now think about where we've already been in Romans 8. Two weeks ago, we introduced Romans 8, and we said in Romans 8, when we are in Christ, when Christ comes to dwell in us, when we are Christians, the Holy Spirit enters our life. And because the Holy Spirit enters our life, we have no condemnation, and we are free from the control of sin. And what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to give us assurance of our salvation in Jesus. And he goes on in Romans 8, 14 to 16, and he says more about our insurance in Christ. And he says, because you are in Christ, you are sons and daughters of God. And then he talks to us about assurance even more deeply in Romans 8, verses 17 and 18. It's found on page 800 in the Bible that the church provides. Verse 17 of Romans 8. Look what Paul says. He says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Paul is providing even more assurance of our salvation, of our position in Christ. He's saying, in fact, our position in Christ means that we are heirs of God. And if we are heirs of God, that means that we are going to receive an inheritance. That God is going to provide for those of us in Christ, God is going to provide to us something good. He is going to provide us with an inheritance. This is very good news. But then look what Paul says in the second half of verse 17. If, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now why in the world would Paul introduce the idea of suffering at this point? Of all things, why is he going to introduce the idea of suffering when he's trying to speak to us about our assurance of salvation in Christ? Because I'm telling you, if I was writing this text, it is not something that I would include here. I wouldn't include the idea of suffering when I want to assure you that you have freedom and salvation in Jesus Christ. But here, Paul introduces the idea of suffering, a concept that I would put in the problem category, not in the good news category. But here, Paul places suffering in the good news category. He links our suffering with our inheritance. You see, part of the inheritance that we are going to receive is the glory that we're going to share with Christ. Now me, I like the idea of glory. I like the idea of receiving glory. I like the idea of sharing with Christ his glory. 
I'm not so sure I like the idea of sharing in his sufferings. But verse 17 links these two things together that we probably wouldn't put together. It links together sufferings and glory. And for the Christian, these two things belong together. Suffering and glory. And in fact, all throughout the New Testament, anytime that we find suffering mentioned, we almost always find the glory to come mentioned as well. But what does it mean? What does it mean that we must share in Christ's sufferings to share in his glory? Look again at verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, our glory with him, this inheritance that we are to receive is conditional upon our suffering with him. Look at these verses. Look at how Jesus says it. Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Look at how Paul says it in another place. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Look at how the writer to the Hebrews says it. Then he, because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? And look how Peter says it. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. In essence, no pain, no gain. No cross, no crown, no suffering, no glory. What Paul is saying here is that our sufferings as Christians are directly linked to the glory that we are going to experience one day. The suffering that we experience here on earth is a preamble or a prerequisite to the glory that we are going to someday receive and share with Jesus Christ. Our sufferings are necessary. But you ask, Tom, what kind of sufferings are you talking about? What are the sufferings that Paul is talking about here in verse 17? Is he just talking about suffering that results from following Jesus Christ? The idea of persecution, if you will? No. What Paul is talking about here is all of the sufferings that we face in this life, all of the difficulties that we find ourselves, all of the pain that we experience, all of the trials that we experience. That is what Paul is referencing here in verse 17. Now, he is referencing the idea of persecution for and on behalf of Jesus Christ, this kind of higher bar of persecution, if you will but he is also including the idea of all types of suffering. And we know that because in verses 18 through 27, Paul specifically talks about the groaning of creation from the fall. He talks about the groaning of man as a result of the fall, and he talks about the groaning of the Holy Spirit. And all of this groaning is a result of the fall, which results in general suffering, discomfort, trials, and pain in this life. And Paul says all of that suffering is the preamble to the glory you are going to face. All of the suffering that you meet on the road to heaven and that you endure as you follow Jesus Christ. But that leads to a much bigger question. And that's why are suffering 
and glory linked. Why do these things have to go together? Why does suffering have to precede glory? And we can give at least part of the answer. It's because we as Christians, our goal as Christians, the goal of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. We are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So our lives are about that transformation process of becoming like Christ. And Christ tells us that part of his life is suffering. What does he say to the disciples on the road to Emmaus? He says, I must endure all of these sufferings so that I can enter my glory. And so for you and me, as we seek to identify with Christ, one of the necessary elements of identifying with Christ is recognizing that suffering is a part of our existence here on earth and that suffering is a means to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ, to be more and more like him. It's, it's put another way in Romans 5. If you turn back a page... This is, the way, this is the way it happens through suffering. Look at Romans 5, verse 3. It's also on the screen for you. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Suffering produces perseverance, but the question is perseverance of what? Perseverance of faith. So how does this happen? Well, what happens is the suffering produces perseverance of faith because what suffering does is it knocks all the support posts out from our life. It knocks out our self-reliance. It knocks out our reliance upon other people. It knocks out our reliance upon things. And what the result is, is that we have to focus on God and God alone. We have to go to God. When you are suffering, when you are hurting, when you are in pain, when the trials in life come, you don't have any answers, do you? Your friends don't have any answers, do they? And the things of this world do not have any answers. So where must you go? The only place you can go is to God. And God says, come to me because I will meet you there. Think about Jesus. He's going to face his greatest suffering. He is going to die on a cross and he wants to go to his father. He goes with his friends. His disciples are with him and he goes to a garden and he gets to the garden and he says, hey, you guys wait over there. You guys pray for me. And I'm gonna go and I'm gonna pray. What do they do? They go to sleep. They aren't there for him. Everybody's gone. Jesus does in his distress and in his suffering, Jesus goes to the only place he can go. He goes to God the Father. When we suffer, the suffering and the pain causes us to turn to God the Father. Paul says in another way, in a parallel passage. It's the passage that Josh read for us earlier. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16, it's on the screen for you as well. Look what this says. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, there's other translations that more accurately state this verse. In this first part that we read, they're better read to say, though our outer nature 
is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. You see, I used to look at this verse and think, well, my body's decaying. Yeah, but my inner self is going. No, this is my outer nature. This is the fallen nature that I was born with that is being stripped away so that the Holy Spirit can build a new inner nature inside of me. And how does he do that? How does that happen? Suffering and pain and affliction are used by the Holy Spirit to transform us, to have us turn away from the things of this world and focus upon God so that our suffering and our afflictions and our trials cause us to grow and become more and more like Christ. It's the means that the Holy Spirit uses to renew our inner being more and more to make us like Christ. See, if there were no sufferings, afflictions, difficulties, troubles, and pains, our outer nature, this fallen nature, would just grow more and more in love with the world around us. And we would continue to look to the world around us for our satisfaction. We would continue to look to the world around us to meet our needs. And the world around you cannot meet your needs. It cannot satisfy you. So the suffering strips that away. And it makes you realize that the things of this world cannot provide the answer and they cannot provide satisfaction. So you have to turn to God and he will meet you and he will conform you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, making you more and more like him. Ultimately, our suffering and our pain brings us to a place where we have no place else to go. It's the only place we can go. It's the place where we are with God and with God alone. And we cry out to him that our hope is in you, God. This message hit home for me two weeks ago. After the second service, Kathy, one of our members here at Calvary Church who is in a wheelchair and sits right down here in the second service, was wheeled over to me after the second service. And she said, Tom, I have a question for you. And I said, Kathy, what's, what's your question? She said, I want to know if I am in Christ. And I was, I was kind of taken aback by the question. And I said, well, let me ask you a few questions about, about Jesus and your relationship with him. So we talked about her relationship with Christ. And I said, Kathy, you are, you are definitely in Christ. I go, why do you ask me that question? She said, because Tom, I'm in this wheelchair because of a car accident. And she said, I pray every day that God would heal me and I would be able to get up and walk out of this wheelchair. But it hasn't happened. And so I'm wondering if I am in Christ. And I said, Kathy, you are in Christ. And I said, I hope you are here in two weeks because the message is for you. Now, I shared some things with her. I gave her a a little preview of the message, if you will. But this message is for Kathy. This message is for each and every one of you who are suffering, who are in pain, who are going through trials, who are experiencing difficulties in this life. This message is for you. And the message, the core of the message is this. Your suffering, your pain, your difficulty is not meaningless. 
It has value. You see, what it is doing, it is knocking away the support post, the things of this world that you rely on for your satisfaction, for your purpose, for your being. It's knocking those things away, and it's causing you to turn to God and God alone. And when you turn to God and God alone, he meets you in that suffering. And he may not get you out of the chair. This is not a matter of Kathy's faith. This is a matter of the suffering and pain that can bring you to a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and conform you to his image so that when people all around you look at you, they see Jesus Christ. Because we are to identify with Jesus in his sufferings, in his pain. Now you say, Tom, I hear what you're saying. That's hard. This suffering, what I am enduring, this pain that I am going through, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. And you definitely don't understand what I'm going through. I hear you. But look at the promise of verse 18. Look at the promise of verse 18. I know that some of you are going through tremendous suffering, and pain. I know it hurts so badly and it seems that everything has been stripped away, that you are turning to God and that you even know that someday you are going to receive glory. But this morning, that might not be enough. Look at the promise of verse 18. Paul says, I consider I know that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In this verse, Paul is comparing our present suffering, the difficulties and the trials that you are going through now, the pain that you are going through now, to the glory that is going to come. And he says the glory that is going to come to you far outweighs any suffering that you are going through now. Anything you are going through now does not compare to the glory that you are going to experience. At this point, Paul introduces a somewhat hidden image of the verbal adjective that's translated not worth comparing. It is the Greek word axios, and it's a derivative of the verb ago, which means to drive or lead or cause to move. And figuratively used, it refers to something that is heavy or weighty enough to tip the scales. Paul's saying that our future glory is so heavy, it's so weighty that it will tip the scales in such a way that our present suffering will seem weightless. Now think about this for a minute. Whatever it is that you are going through this morning, whatever pain you are experiencing this morning, as great as it is, as difficult as it is to endure, as painful as it is, think of how great this glory has to be to make that seem weightless, like nothing. That's the glory that he's talking about here. I am not trying to make the suffering that you are experiencing feel like, I'm not trying to diminish it. 
I understand that there is terrible physical and emotional pain in this room right now. I know that there are some of you who lay in bed at night and you're curling up in a ball and you're crying out to God and you're saying, please, God, why? Why me? Or you're in bed and you're laying there and you can barely breathe because of the pressure that is on your chest, that weight that is there, and you say, how can I get through this? I'm not trying to diminish it at all, but think of how great and painful that is. And now think about the glory and how heavy that has to be to make the suffering and pain seem like nothing. That's the glory we're talking about. Well, what is this glory? Glory is an elusive concept. It's it's hard to define, but maybe the best way to define glory is to say glory is God in our midst. God himself Glory is all that God is in his attributes, character, power, might, beauty, greatness, and eternal blessing known so intimately to us, so fully to us, so perfectly to us that it will satisfy and fill us and offer us and give us contentment forever. That is the glory of God. Maybe it will help to look at it this way. Think about the story of Moses and the people of Israel. Now, you know the story, right? The people of Israel are are held captive. They're, They're slaves in Egypt. And God says, you know what? It's time. It's time that you're no longer slaves in Egypt. So God calls them out of Egypt, and he calls Moses to lead them out of Egypt. So Moses is this appointed man to lead the people out of Egypt. And you know what happens? They're, they're released from Egypt and they, they wander in the desert and they come to a place called Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God recognizes that the people of Israel need guidance and they need direction. So he calls Moses up to Mount Sinai to speak with him. So Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to speak with God. And when he gets up there, I, th- I think the conversation would go something like this. Moses says to God, God, I've seen you do some incredible things. I've seen you talk through a burning bush. I've seen you send 10 plagues to Egypt. I've seen you change Pharaoh's mind so that he releases us from captivity. I've seen you part the waters of a sea so that all of the people of Israel can walk through on dry land. And I've seen that you've provided us food from heaven while we're here in this desert. I've seen all these things, God. But... I want to see the really big thing. I want to see your face. I want to see your glory. So what does God say? God says, whoa, Moses, you you can't see my face because nobody can see my face and live. But here's what I'll do. You go over there to that rock and you put yourself in the cleft of that rock and I'll pass by and when I pass by I'll cover you and I'll allow you to look at my backside so Moses walks over to the rock and he hides himself in the cleft of the rock and God passes by the cleft of the rock and he he covers Moses for a minute and then as he passes by Moses for just a glimpse for just a second gets a glimpse of the refractive glory of God of his backside 
And then what happens? Moses goes down the mountain and he approaches the people of Israel. And when they see Moses, what do they do? They fall on the ground. They cover their faces. They beg Moses to cover his face because they are deathly afraid of his face. Why? Because his face was shining with the radiance and light of God and it was blinding him. And that was just from a second, from a glimpse of the backside of God's glory. And they couldn't handle it. That's the glory of God. And Paul says, that is what is going to be revealed in you. Now this revealed in you at the end of verse 18 isn't strong enough. This is going to be revealed to us and it is going to be revealed in us. The translation technically reads, it is gonna be revealed into us. It is not just that we are going to be a spectator looking at God's glory. It's not come some cosmic sports event where we're sitting up in the stands watching God do his thing. This is us on the stage with God and his glory is revealed to us and his glory is revealed in and through us, making us perfectly complete and perfectly satisfied. And all the sufferings and all the pain do not compare to the glory that is going to be revealed in us. Look at it this way. I know, I know that there are some of you in this room who are in pain, who are suffering. There are some of you who this week have faced persecution. There are some of you this week that because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been persecuted. And it is a heavy weight. You may have lost a job. You may have lost a friend. And it hurts. It's suffering. And it's pain. And it's heavy. And Paul says, put it on the scale. There's some of you who have faced betrayal. A friend has turned against you. Maybe a spouse has turned against you. And it hurts. It's painful. It's heavy. You feel the weight on your chest night after night after night. Paul says, put it on the scale. You may be facing disappointment. You lost your job. You're having trouble paying the bills. You're not meeting your own expectations for life. You seem to have failed. And it hurts. And it's heavy. And you can barely breathe. Paul says, put it on the scale. Distress, angst, stress, disappointment, in pain. It hurts. It's heavy. Paul says, put it on the scale. 
death. Some of you here this morning are sick. You have disease in your body. You're dying. Doctors have no answers. And you don't know what to do. You're suffering. And it hurts. Paul says, put it on the scale. This brick is blank. Because I probably didn't mention everybody's suffering and pain. So no matter what it is that you are dealing with this morning, no matter what suffering or pain or disappointment or discouragement that you are dealing with this morning, if you are here and you are asking the question, why, why me, why now, why Lord, why this? God says, put it on the scale. And then he says, take my glory and focus on the glory that is to come. The glory that is going to be revealed in you. Now, I recognize that the glory is small and sometimes it seems so far out there and it seems so difficult to see. But that doesn't make it any less real. God says, focus on the glory that's going to be revealed in you and put it on the scale. That's it. See, God promises you and me that whatever sufferings, whatever pain, whatever trials we are experiencing do not compare to the glory that is going to be revealed to you, in you, and into us. That glory far outweighs any suffering, any pain, any discouragement, any suffering you are going through is far outweighed by the glory of God. In my conversation with Kathy, she asked me, she said, Tom, when I'm in heaven someday, am I going to be in this wheelchair? And I said, absolutely not. The glory of God is going to be revealed to Kathy in all of its wonder and splendor and greatness. And it's going to complete her and fulfill her and provide perfect contentment. And it's not only for Kathy. It's for each one of us who experience the suffering and the pain of this life. God promises us that the suffering is going to bring about glory. And you know what? I don't think it's only in heaven. Have you ever had the opportunity to talk with somebody who has gone through tremendous suffering and pain and has had everything stripped away and has turned to God and the Holy Spirit has worked to conform that person to the image of Jesus Christ? Have you ever talked to that person? And do you recognize the glory of God in their eyes? Because God is going to reveal fully his glory when we get to heaven. 
But right now, he gives us glimpses of glory because when I talk to Kathy, she's not here this service, so I can say this. When I talk to Kathy, I see the glory of God in her eyes. And it didn't get there because everything in her life has gone well. God does not waste suffering and pain. He uses it to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, to make us more like Jesus. And then he promises us that no matter what you go through in this life, the glory to be revealed far, far, far outweighs the suffering. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the promise that you have given us of the glory that is going to be revealed in us. And Lord, this morning, even though it's difficult, I thank you for the suffering and the pain that we experience. I thank you, Lord, that that suffering and pain brings us closer to you and conforms us to the image of Jesus. Lord, help us not to waste the suffering and the pain that we experience. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.